Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is a 29-year veteran of the career industry and the leading Forbes Coaches Council writer. Yes, I say the because he's had over 50 articles published with the Forbes Coaching Council. He taught and led the creative writing program for Bowling Green State University and has helped thousands of people navigate their early career to the executive level with his company. He leads Career Pro Inc., a firm that has helped encourage many find their career mission and assists companies with outplacement and re-employment and talent consulting. He was a former Army officer, which is near and dear to my heart. We'll have to talk about that, being in military engineering. And he is most proud of his four kids and his family. Please welcome to Leading from the Front, Mr. John O'Connor. How you doing, John? Doing great. Thank you for having me, Dr. Gary. John, so talk to me a little bit. It's really fascinating when I think about this this work that you do, and I've known about this for years and doing some work with you to help people find their way in employment to either they've been laid off or they've decided to make a career change because they're unhappy. If there's any, any reason that some people take a pivot in their career, and you've been doing it for a very long time. How did you get into this? <laughs> Nobody ever asked me that question, so I'll be glad to answer it here. You know, I came in to someone for the very same help that people come to me and companies now ask us to help with and sat down with that person. And they, they we started talking about being a visiting assistant professor, which two people dropped out. And I just had my MFA degree and I, I was able to help lead the creative writing program at, at Bowling Green, which I was really proud to do because it's part of, you know, almost like a, a legacy. My dad built the MFA program there, by the way, that just had its first Pulitzer Prize winning novelist. Wow. You know, recently. What does MFA stand for? Master of Fine Arts. Ah, okay. In writing, a master of fine arts in writing, right? Okay. Creative writing. So my yeah. dad, my dad's office had just walls of books of poetry. I don't even want to start mentioning all the poets that went through the program or wow. books of fiction and, and some memoirs and many publications all over the world. And, you know, down the hall, he was always at war with the big English department with their massive faculty and so on. But he wasn't just at war with the English department. He wanted to bring the MFA into a, what they call a terminal degree, which means you can get tenure, you can have a, a career. And he helped lead that charge, you know, way back when. And I'm, I'm proud of him for doing that because people that are creative and productive, both in academia and are publishing and are in their career, you know, I think they... They're the most satisfied, but also they're bringing a lot of things to the table. They're dialoguing with the world. They're not just hidden away, even though teaching is a great profession. And anyway, going back to your original question is quickly, as I sat down with this person and they assessed me pretty quickly and said, you know, instead of helping you with your resume, I, I think you should do what I'm doing because I'm going to New York to pursue comedy 
And of course, I haven't seen that person like on the comedy stages or the Charlie Goodnights around here or any of the, you know, yeah. kind of the training grounds for great comedians. But I thought, well, that's a weird thing to say to me. But coaching, writing, interfacing with people because of the military, because of teaching, I thought, of course, this would be easy. What I didn't know is the business side of the world of work and uh, how people tell their stories and their mission. And, and, you know, in small business, you find out people aren't always who they appear and you had to peel back the onion, which was very interesting. But then you find out, you know, maybe what motivates people, what they did that they'll never talk about to lose their job, what they did that might've compromised their career. And all of a sudden I'm putting this thrust into this position at age 20 something, I'm helping all these people, but I had great guidance from someone who almost tutored me almost like a franchise early on a woman named Shirley Hall. And she was great because I had a million questions. I I could write, I could coach people, but I certainly didn't know the business transaction of dealing with all these professionals. And, you know, how did, how did she help as your mentor or coach? What did she do for you specifically as you were learning this stuff? And I'd love to hear what you have to say from a leadership point of view, but she was just very patient with me and guided me. It was the kind of business where they, she said, Hey, you owe me this much a month, but I'm going to provide you support above that, what you make and what you keep is yours. And I thought, well, you know, this is an alternative to the, you know, teaching academic world that I was kind of going toward. And, you know, I think a lot of questions, a lot of mentorship, a lot of care, a lot of getting in the trenches with me and maybe building a document or writing a federal resume way back when on, you know, when we used whiteout on typewriters, like this is the old days. This is like, these kinds of machines are in the Smithsonian. I mean, I didn't do things on a typewriter. I had a computer, but sometimes when you had to edit like a federal document or a grant proposal or all these crazy things that I did, you know, you had to get out the old, what I can't even remember the name of those things. And I'd be electric. Yeah. That was an upgrade to what I had. Then a Remington, one of the mechanical Remingtons, I think. Oh, and, uh, yeah, just the hum of that thing was a beautiful thing. Yeah. But, you know, I learned a lot, and I think it was that constant ability to dialogue with someone who had been through the trenches or been through the minefield in front of me and could just say, hey, it's going to be all right. Here's how I talk to that person, or here's how I guide them. Or if I need to, I'll get on the phone with this executive. Was she your direct boss? You know, I would call it my mentor. It's almost like the franchise consultant. If yeah. You will. Yeah, sure. You know, and then, and then I had a chance when, when she had some financial issues, she said, you know, she owned it essentially. And I was working there and she said something that was really nice to me. I went on visited her in Charlotte and she said, out of all the people that I sort of supervise and oversee, you're the one person who's always paid me on time, has always told me the truth and never sort of cheated me by saying your business wasn't doing well. And she said, so what I'm going to do is pay some back bills. I'd like you to do this for me. And I'm going to allow you to, this is going to be your business. Mm. So what a gift that was. But I think the big gift was the mentorship, the concern, the care, and being willing to, as you say in your books and in the podcast is really, she, she came with me on the front lines to help me learn about the business. And would I say that would be a 60 some year old woman who would have mentored me in, in business? No, but that's that she was a critical person in my life and my career for sure. 
Sure. So I, I think there's, you know, the message there for people is, is often you never know where that mentor, or that coach will come from. But if you pay attention and you allow it to come in. But at the same time, I mean, we were both in the Army, you know, and we raised our hand to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. We have a higher purpose. You know, so we, we understand that from the day we, we go into the military, that we have a higher purpose. And we're not we don't really we answer to the chain of command. But the purpose is to defend and protect the Constitution. So in in this job now, something had to give something had to resonate with you. That was a higher purpose that just grabbed your soul. If you've been doing this for 29 years. All right. Something had to grab you and say, this is what I want to do. You know, you've been doing it for 29 years. What was that? What what was it? And how has it evolved over time where you've committed a life to this? Well, that's, again, great question. I really appreciate that. I think that I can't think of one epiphany that happened that did it. But as as the new experiences came in, as people came in, they didn't come in to book, you know, their wonderful vacation or I'm sure it would be a nightmare to be a wedding planner. But, you know, that's supposed to be a happy time. But I've seen enough reality <laughs> shows on that that it's, yeah. it's pretty much a nightmare. But they came in a little bit torn, a little bit broken, a little bit in pain because of it could have been a decision. They're an executive that say, you know, I'm, I'm out of juice for this or something's happened in my life that I don't need to be on the road 290 days a year, making 300 plus thousand dollars a year. I actually want to make less and be with my family or my second family you know, because they lost their first family, right? Yeah. And it's not always that person's fault. Something could have happened. Some of my military people, Dr. Gary, that came in, you know, the usually the special forces people that have come through my office, mostly guys start the conversation with, well, in my first marriage, yeah. you know, because they just have to go off and, and be with their job and live another life. And then they come home and they can't tell their spouse anything. And it doesn't necessarily lead to great great marriages all the time in that field. But I just saw these people at these vulnerable times and I'm like, okay, this is a great responsibility for me. I'm not just doing the resume. I'm not just now working on their LinkedIn. Maybe there's some greater purpose to this where I'm supposed to speak to them about turning something around in their career, which could impact their life. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, this is a little more powerful position than I thought. And then people were paying me and saying, no, I want this. I need your help. I've been looking for you for a while. And I was like, who, me? No, but the, the kind of the message that I'm bringing, which you bring to a lot of, you know, established corporations and leaders, I was finding people kind of on an island going, you know, what? hey, uh, things have fallen apart a little bit, or I'm starting to grasp, you know, where I need to go next. Guess what? You're going to be that pivot person and help me. Wow. I, I started deciding to take this a little more serious and read and research and, mm. you know, get with colleagues nationally and internationally. And, and, and that, that's really how it came together. And I'm reminded of that often. Sometimes I'm like, Hey, I'm just doing my job, just doing my job. And then someone will say something like that to me. And it's, you know, I think we need motivation is not permanent. We need kind of constant reinforcement because I sometimes ask myself, am I supposed to be doing what I'm doing now? And because I asked that of people, are you supposed to be where you are in your career or is there something that you've pushed back and should have done that you aren't doing now? And some people say, yes, there is. Yeah. What I, let me let me tell you what I'm hearing, though, as you talk about this, 
with great passion. As you talk about it and you talk about people walk in and they're in pain, they're broken, they're struggling, they're lost. You know, the word that came to mind when you were talking about it is they're lost. They really don't. They're, they're emotionally lost and they really don't know what to do. What they, uh, the only thing they know, what, know is I don't want to do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, sometimes it's really easy to listen to people talk about what not to do. People can tell you what not to do. And you say, that's great. That's great. I get this all the time. I'm sure you do in your business where people advise you on things you shouldn't do. Yes. You know? And then they'll also advise you, on, oh, you know what you need to do? You need to try this or you need to try that. And without any information, they're giving you advice on stuff like this. And it's, it's fascinating to me with small businesses where people advise you all the time. Or in life, people advise you all the time, not knowing the context and the situation that you're in. And the people that are walking in, every single story is different. There might be some threads that are similar, but every single person and story is different and they're lost. And what I hear is you have a process that helps them find what their true passion is, what their, I just did a podcast with somebody on this and, and it was her book. It's called A Noble Purpose. What's their noble purpose? What are they in this for? And I can't imagine too many things in life that have greater value than the work that you do with executives to help them find their purpose. And sometimes, thank you. And sometimes, you know, Dr. Gary, that's hidden. You know, they don't know they're here for that reason. Hey, I just need to, you know, get back on the horse and get that VP role. And, and again, I, 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 I look for those opportunities where they say, you know, maybe there's a reason why it's not happening as quick. Maybe I'm supposed to be learning something, reaching out, giving, volunteering, giving back, and I never really have done that. I, I've written checks, but I haven't really done that. I've found some people start finding their purpose in volunteerism and helping others and get a little bit addicted to it and, and then go back to the to their next career. And they're a different person. So sometimes the time that goes by with us is really important. It's not just, hey, John, I heard you're great at this. Give me this great job. The faster it goes, the better. Sure. Yeah, we want that to happen. But you know and I know sometimes that delay is a part of the growth that you need to have at 30-something, 20-something, 40-something, 50-something. And and I'm going to shoot it back to you a little bit, too, because you've come in and shared with small groups of executives and, and others a very personal journey of yours. And, you know, as a kind of a guy, I think, on the exterior, kind of a, you know, tough a veteran of the military and a business, the vulnerability that you've shown and talked about you know, when you've had setbacks in your life and career has been very inspirational. And I'm sure it is to many of the people of your clients, but it's those stories that you talk about. Those are the things that really move me to say, Hey, you need to listen to it. Dr. Gary, you need to hear from people that externally you see as these great achievers, but internally or through personal situations or through a special needs child or through a divorce or through a this, whatever they've gone through is a part of the fabric of how they, if they put it to right use, how they can lead and be more vulnerable and show that they take care of their people. And again, the problem I sometimes see, which is why I think you're so important in your role is sometimes that they just get they just build up that tough skin and they don't bring that out. It's not a fabric and they just become harder and drivers. And if, if I can do anything to break that down before I send them back out into the corporations to help them be a a better leader, 
boy, that's part of the purpose. Oh, absolutely. And you, you see it in their eyes, don't you? And, you know, what, as you're talking about this, it, what comes to mind is, is having a conversation with, with the executive sitting in front of you. And it's funny listening to your voice as you talk about this. I got to get back out there. You know, your whole voice and the, the sound, the speed, the pace, everything changes. God, I've got I've to make this happen. I got to make this happen. And you, you look at one of these executives in the eyes and I've done this. And you say, OK, just take a breath. <laughs> And they're like, what? I want you to take a breath and I'm going to ask you two questions. First question is, when you have a vision of going back to that life, does that bring you joy? Not happiness, joy, because happiness, by definition, a lot of times is is fleeting. It's a pleasurable thing. It makes me happy. That's great. Nothing wrong with it. You can almost manufacture that. Almost manufacture. It comes from the inside. I can manufacture. But joy is at our core and it's based on doing good things that I love entrepreneurs, people that want to be an entrepreneur. And you say, you know, I have these bright lights that occur every so often, but every day is pretty mundane and it's getting through the mundane to get to the greatness and the joy. But I have faith and I have a process and I have an approach that I know I'm going to get there. And that's what we get to do for people is to bring out their best and I, I love the way you do it, too, because you, I know listening to you and reading your books, you have more soul piercing questions than I ever get to ask. But I try I try and get them ready for Dr. Gary, if I can, because I know that and I've written about this and the, the cliche of people don't leave, you know, their jobs, they leave their bosses. And oh, yeah. I, I, I just get to see that firsthand. And it's not a cliche. It's a scientific fact. Okay. okay. It's, yeah. it's a measurable scientific fact where they go back and they check and like 80 to 85% of the people that quit a job, they quit it because of their boss. I just had somebody else on a podcast two weeks ago that was talking about this great company they were working for. They loved it. It was terrific. The CEO changed same exact job, same exact company. And she ended up leaving within a year because this person was so disconnected from the human beings in that organization that she couldn't take it anymore. You know, and I had a client that was a very high level HR person, VP of global HR. In this person's situation, she had lost a child and she, she then had a new child and she went to a conference out of state and she just, the whole leadership team kind of knew that. And there was a great joy in her life. One person gave her a card, but she's just, she's one of the reasons she left her moment, her epiphany was she walked back. The CEO knew that he knew about this. She didn't make it loud. She wasn't all about her. And she said, he didn't even make eye contact or put mm-hmm. a light hand on my shoulder. And I said, and I had given advice that morning and kind of, there was a little bit, congratulations, congratulations. She, he didn't ever in that three day conference, take the time and walk by and say, you know, I do know what you've gone through. I don't know how you've done it. Just one moment. She said, that was the clear sign. I'm not going back there. I'm resigning despite my 170, whatever thousand dollar year income. It doesn't matter. I'm done. I was like, really? Amazing. Why do you think so many executives avoid that conversation? Well, it just could, you know, could, you know, if I have to do that for you, I, I mean, this is a bad reason, but I think there's kind of like, if I do it for you, I do it for anyone. Or, or maybe that's something that they're trying to hide and protect. Maybe they've gone through a loss and don't want to deal with it. But look, as a, as a C-suite executive, I, I think you got it. And this is why we do what we do. There you go. Okay. 
because the problem is, is that most people are afraid of the conversation because they don't know what to say. And the fact of the matter is, is, and I, I want my listeners to listen because they don't have to say much. All you have to do is acknowledge the pain. I'm sorry for what you went through. Is there anything I can do? And that's it. I'm sorry. And, and I, I mean, somebody like that, I might even say, I'm sorry for what you went through. I can't imagine what it's like, you know? So in this thing we call life, we are often just, we're emotional imbeciles mm-hmm. in the way we connect Mostly because in emotional intelligence and the work we do with leaders, I've got several models on this from emotional intelligence 2.0 to a feelings wheel. And I show the executive all of these statements of feelings and emotions. I say that your first job is to improve your vocabulary. Our inadequacy in our vocabulary is what holds us back from making connections with other human beings emotionally. Because for guys, as you've heard me talk about this with emotional intelligence, and guys have two feelings. We got two. I'm happy and I'm pissed. <laughs> you know, and I, actually, we've got, but we have a third state, but it's not an emotion. It's called neutral. I don't feel anything. I'm happy. I'm pissed. I'm neutral. And that's it. And that's our vocabulary in a lot of ways. And we work with leaders to try to improve that. And what you do in this career investigation with people is you go beyond just the work and the money and you're talking to the person and trying to draw that out as you've gone through the years you know you've been doing this for a while and what i heard you say early on was you committed to yourself to get better and better at this so based on our conversation and and making connections with these kinds of uh, challenges, people that are that are broken in pain and struggling or lost. If somebody has somebody in their organization that they have a sense that they're really struggling, what what advice would you give them in asking questions and encouraging them and talking with them to try to draw some of that out? How have you done that with some of your executive leaders? I think you just, you have to find out, are you, I mean, if it's an executive, it's someone on their team, are you, are you, do you feel challenged in this position? Is it bringing out the best in you? I mean, your zinger questions are the best, but if you can just ask a question and let them talk, I mean, sometimes I want to jump in because I feel like I've, you know, at times you feel like you've heard every answer and you want to start the solution right then. But, you know, where where do you get your juice? You know, what gets you fired up? And sometimes it's about, you know, you talk to someone and they go steering off into their kids, you know, potential baseball career and the coaching that they're doing over there. They're doing no coaching at work. They're not influencing anyone anymore. And you see them just dive into spend all sorts of money. Maybe the kids like, I'm not even that serious about baseball, but they're just pouring it in over here because it's it's a lack there maybe yeah. you go you know what maybe we should put you into more of a coaching situation here than mentorship or something like that sometimes it's little things it's not necessarily a you know new money or new title or new this or you know even the executives who tend to be more buttoned up you know they, a lot of times there's no one but someone like you maybe from the outside to talk to because they're supposed to know it all like as a business owner and a leader i'm supposed to know it all 
But if we don't get our juice somewhere, if we're not getting fed, if we're not trying to challenge ourselves and move ourselves forward, boy, it's easy to get complacent. What you just said is, is something that we could spend hours talking about and things that I'm supposed to know it all. I'm like, really, dude, you're supposed to know it all. I actually had uh, operations vice president say that in one of our leadership courses. I stopped. I, I'm sitting in the back. My team is running the program. And I'll, I'll, I'll pull a Dr. Gary on him in our leadership program. So here's what happens. One of my statarians is up there training. And this guy says, well, yeah, I, I, they, they walk in my office. I have to have the answer. I have to have the answer. And I jumped out of my seat. I'm sitting in the back. I jumped <laughs> out of my seat. And I, and I run up and say, wait, wait, wait a minute, Joe, well, hold on a second. Let me make sure I heard exactly what you just said. I have to have the answer. Well, yeah, I have to have the answer. They ask a question. I have to have the answer. Okay. So when, what happens when you don't, Oh no, 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 I've got to, I've got to have the answer. I've got to, you know, and the problem is that thought. The problem is the thought that he feels that he has to have the answer. And if he's ever put into a position where he doesn't, he explodes and he never knew, you know, how to handle that. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you a little, little advice based on my experience. Somebody walks into your office, you don't have the answer. You know what you tell him? He says, no. I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to give you three words. I don't, don't know. know. <laughs> Absolutely. No question. I don't, I, I don't know. We're going to have to solve this together. I don't know. And, and how did I learn these? Because I had a whole bunch of different jobs in manufacturing when I was young, and I didn't know. <laughs> I had no idea. People would walk in. They had 30 years of experience, and they're testing me, and they're saying, hey, Gary, what do you want to do with this? I don't know. What have you done in the past? And we would go into this. So it's, it's an interesting journey how, how people create these mindset paradigms that cause them to be a difficult boss. And what I, what I wrote down as you were talking about it is you said they're not coaching. And what typically what follows that is they're not coaching, they're directing. Yeah. You know, that doesn't make people happy. It's a short term. You know, I feel smart. I'm the expert. But then somebody's going to come in 10 seconds later and ask another question. Right. Yeah. And we've, we haven't allowed leaders, especially recently, to develop or, you know, training's been pushed away. Yeah taking time to, to sort of not just get to the next sale or the bottom line, or we've got to get these numbers right. That's pushed everybody into this hyper. Like you said, they're not even breathing right. Yeah. You kind of mode. And if something doesn't interrupt that, um, it's not just the health of the organization. I've even seen this is, this was one of the weirder things to me. Like I've seen it affect people's health. Like I've seen women with, I've had them, Coached them, came in a year later. They're in a new job, new position, new environment. One of them leaned down to me and said, you know, my ulcer's not detected anymore. I was like, ulcer? Did you have an ulcer? She goes, "Did I, th I thought I told you that. No, yeah, I had. She goes, it's like it's gone. I go, oh, my gosh. One person I remember, the, one of the first 10 years in business, leaned down and, you know, put her head down toward me. And it was like, when she first came in, she, she did, she showed me the balding spot and she was yeah. like, yeah, I think, I think my health, I think I need to go see a doctor. And she did, and they couldn't find anything. And then again, yes. eight, right. Eight months later, she goes, Hey, and guess what? My hair's growing in <laughs> like, and she, but she didn't know it because she, they were in the hunt. 
They were fighting to keep their job. They were fighting to put up with a dysfunctional work environment. And I was like, well, I think I'm supposed to tell you that you need to change that. Well, I could lose my lease on my BMW. I could this let go of those material things because sadly enough, I've been in this business long enough to get a call from, you know, a kid's dad who's, you know, the person that has died at their desk. Like there's no way you want to go out that way. High stress, you know, we've got to put up with a lot in business. And sometimes there are times when it is, you feel like you're being not challenged, but you're, you're being tested by the wrong spirit. And I, I get that. I'm one of those people. I want to fight through every test in a fight, but sometimes the, you know, the purpose is, Hey, maybe there's a new direction for me mentally, physically job this, you better listen to that because you just need to listen to your body sometimes too. Yeah, and I grew up with three older brothers, and, and then went in the military. So you uh, you, you grew up fighting. You know, where you <laughs> for you got to survive, right? And and uh, again, it's that mindset. And if you take that mindset into business or into relationships, it's it's destructive. And I always I think one of the principles that we follow in the work that we do is competition within a team is always destructive. So whether whether the team is a family or a marriage or the team is an executive team, that when you're competing within that team, you're competing for bonuses, you're competing for a promotion, you're competing, whatever it is, it's going to be destructive because you're not collaborating and working on the same purpose. We're at different purposes. So, so let me, let me, I want to finish this up and I want to finish this up with a question that I always ask my guests. So brace yourself. I'm ready. If you could write yourself a letter and send it back 29 years ago. You've been doing this for 29 years, and you could write John a letter. And you're sitting in that guy's office, and he's offering you a job, probably because he was told, find somebody to replace yourself so you can go be a comedian, okay? <laughs> All right? And, and, and he found a sucker. He found John. He says, okay, you take over for me, right? What would you write yourself? What would you tell yourself, the 29-year younger John O'Connor? Oh, man. Dear John, Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> comma. Yeah. I want you to be more ambitious about your dreams and goals. Mm. Please believe that your life will turn out just fine. Mm. And because I'm trusting you with this knowledge, I want you to, as much as you can, influence others to the positive through your writing, your speaking, and I want you to build a bigger tent than you could ever see in your small business. Go out, push yourself, push others in the right way, and create not just a business, but in a sense, a ministry of care that others will be inspired by and want to continue that journey even after you're gone. Yeah. See what I, what I almost heard in all of that is a personal mission statement. Well, you helped me write a couple of them, so it should be close. (laughs) Well, that's what it sounds like is you're sharing your mission statement today with yourself 29 years ago and saying, Hey, John, go for it, you know, go for it. Well, that's great. Any final comments for today, John? I I really appreciate your insights and your thoughts. And how can people get a hold of you uh, for CareerPro if they need some help? Just go to CareerProinc.com, CareerProInc.com. Everything's right there to kind of, you know, 
taste test some of the material that we put out there or send an inquiry or, you know, I'm helping now second generation. I have people are like, Hey, my kid's on my couch and you helped me when I'm, when I was 24, he's 24. Can you do something for him? And, you know, I'm just like, yeah, sure. I'll be glad to. I remember what you said 24 years ago, but no, all I wanted to say is thank you, Gary, for this opportunity to speak. And most of all, thank you for your friendship. You're one of those people and they're not lots in your life that you feel like this is the type of person you could call and, and, and they would come running to help you if you ever needed that. And I don't know if you know that, but that's, that's the kind of guy I look at you like a brother. So that's thank it. you for being a good brother. And I appreciate you very much. Uh, thanks for saying that. I, I talk about this all the time, not just from the military standpoint, but uh, my brother started this with me seven years ago when he texted. I was working on something and I said, hey, John, can you take care of this? His name is John, too. Yeah. And uh, he texted me back, IGYB, I've got your back. And that's one of the things that we learned in the military is we've got each other's back and it never goes away. So we, we help each other. We take care of each other. And if we need help, we, we ask for it. So thanks very much for being my guest today, John. I appreciate it. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for joining us on Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Be well and be safe. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.